This sermon, Compromise Kills, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, November 5th, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, my name is Derek. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I get to preach this morning. We're preaching through the book of Judges, um, and we just started last week, so you joined us at a great time. This morning, we're going to be uh, looking at Judges 1, 19 through chapter 2, verse 5. Would you like to stand up when we read God's Word around here? So please stand with me. Let's read together, and we will once again try and navigate all of these different cities uh, and places and people. Judges 1, we'll start in verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said. And he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Taanach and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibliam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. And when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but not, did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not, drive, did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alab or of Oxib or of Helba or of Aphek or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heras and, and in Ahalon and in Shealbim, but the, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. 
and the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called to that, that place, Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Maybe seated. Please pray with me. Lord, far more than a list of difficult names to pronounce, this passage is your word. 3,500 years have passed since this day. But these words have been preserved. These, these battles, these events have been preserved in your word by your spirit so that we may learn from them. And so now, cause your word to be what you have promised that it is profitable to us. That we might experience your goodness in a fuller way. And that your glory might be revealed in and through our lives in a grander way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't really get into the whole Marvel and DC comic world. Um, If you ask one of my older grandsons, they can tell you every character, all their superpowers, and which group they belong to. Because I guess there's a couple different groups. The comic DC and Marvel and I think another one. Um, They know them all. I know none of them save Superman. I do know who Superman is. In fact, for years I thought I was Superman. And that got me in a lot of trouble. Uh, It took me a long time to learn that that I'm not Superman. And my wife would say even today I tend to wonder but am I still Superman, I think? <laughs> but I do know this about Superman. He's the guy who's faster than a speeding bullet, right? He's the guy who's more powerful than a locomotive. He's the guy who, who bounds or, or, or leaps buildings in a single bound. What's the theme? da 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 Actually, it's pretty awesome when it's played by an orchestra. Uh, you should check it out. <clears throat> so I know who Superman is. I also know what kryptonite is. Kryptonite is that radiate, radiation-emitting green crystal that can weaken and even kill Superman. I got that on Wikipedia, by the way. <laughs> So it must be true. (laughs) A kryptonite 
for your relationship with Jesus is compromise. That's what we're going to see this morning in today's text. Compromise is kryptonite to the Christian faith. Now, you know what compromise is. At the heart of compromise, right, is sacrifice. It's making concessions or accommodations for an intended outcome. Compromise can be good at times, right? We, 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 that guy, that person who, who loves to compromise and not stand in the way of progress, that, that can be good. We, we can appreciate that person. That can be an expression of humility in one's life. But compromise can also be bad. It can be really bad. Bad compromising happens when one chooses to live below the standards they know are true for an intended effect. And spiritual compromise is the worst kind of compromise. It is the Christian's kryptonite. One theologian said the chief danger of the church today is that it is trying to get on the same side as the world instead of turning the world upside down. In a word, compromise. And compromise is important. The Bible warns us repeatedly about spiritual compromise and for good reason. Because one of the things that we're, what we will learn this morning is this. When we compromise our faith, we forfeit experiencing the Lord's promise and blessing as we should. Spiritual compromise jeopardizes the full realization of God's promises and blessings to us. And Israel's compromise did exactly that. Their compromise is front and center for us in the book of Judges. And today, it's a warning for us as we, by grace, through faith, in the power of the Spirit, try and follow Jesus in a messed up world, in all the chaos around us. So two, I've broken this text down into two parts. One is, we're going to take a look at Israel's compromise. And then two, we're going to talk about how it is a warning for us, both as individual believers and collectively as a church. So let's look at our first point, Israel's compromise. If you were here last week or if you listened to the sermon from home, in verses 1 through 18, we witnessed a people poised to advance to the next phase of taking the land that God had promised them. As the title last week's sermon said, it was a hopeful start. Remember, their leader Joshua, he was dead. But ultimately, Judges opens with God's people looking to him as their ultimate leader. They looked to him and said, Lord, what should we do? They looked to him for wisdom and might to carry on the divine conquest that Joshua had been leading them in and had handed down to them in his farewell speech. In verses 4 through 18, we witnessed success after success on the battlefield as the Lord was faithful to be with them. Just as he said numerous times in the text that he would be with them in power, that he would deliver the enemies into their hands. 
And then we get to our passage this morning. And it it functions as an unexpected body blow. (laughs) You ever been on the receiving end of one of those? (laughs) I have. It functions as an unexpected body blow when we read this. Look at verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But, there's that three-letter word. But. It means, oh, okay, we're going to turn some kind of a corner here. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said. And he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But but the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. There is a theme in our text this morning. It goes like this. They did not drive them out. They, as we just saw in verse 19, they could not drive them out. Well, I thought the Lord was with them. He was. So that's not a statement about God's ability. It's a statement about Israel. They could not drive them out of the land. They did not drive them out of the land. And this drumbeat continues as the story advances. Just look in your Bible, verse 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 33. And they did not drive them out. And they did not drive them out. The Lord said, I will give your enemies into your hands. They did not drive them out. They, did. they, they conquered them. They went in. They took the land for the most part. But they did not do what God had called them to do, and that was drive them out of the land. The author's message here, which is probably Samuel, is impossible to avoid. They did not drive the enemy out of the promised land like God said. Now, at times, Israel, we can look at these and at times see that Israel is hesitant to fight, right, because of the perceived strength of the Canaanites. In verse 19, did you catch that? They didn't drive them out because they had chariots of iron. Other times, they conquered the Canaanites, but instead of driving them out of the land, they remained in the land as slaves. Manasseh in verse 28, Zebulun in 30, and Naphtali in in verse 33, and Dan in 34. They went in, but they kept them around to use for their own good, to make life a little bit easier on themselves. They subjected them to forced labor. They didn't drive them out, as the Lord said. Now, one can approach this text and come up with some rational explanations, certainly, for Israel's failure to drive the enemy entirely out of the land. Again, verse 19, certainly Israel exercised military strategy. Maybe this was, this was in the war room and they decided, can, can we really defeat an army of chariots? Maybe we should, that might be a slaughter for us. So militarily, I'm not sure that's the best thing. Perhaps, perhaps they saw the need for diplomatic negotiations with the enemy. Did you notice in verse 24, They are trying to get into the city, and they ask a man and his family, please show us a way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. We're going to talk about that in a moment. So negotiations, 
to help them advance the cause. It's rational. Or, hey, let's just, let's just face it. The enemy was no pushover. In verses 34 and 35, Dan experienced strong resistance and resolved persistence. And so this was no... They, they weren't sitting on the couch while God did all the work. This was dangerous stuff. This was hard. So we, we can look at our text and say, well, here's why, pastor, they didn't drive them out totally. But here's the deal. <laughs> it's not up to Israel or us to determine what happened. A question we must learn to ask in this case and in any aspect of your life is this. What is God's view on what happened? What is God's view on the landscape? And just apply that, that, that question to any aspect of your What is God's view of relationships in my life? What is God's view of the money that he's blessing me with? What, what is God's view of my education? What is God's view of how a state champ should handle himself? Which, by the way, Miles is one of the most humble young men that I know. There's much grace on his life that goes beyond his ability to run. And run for his glory, Miles. Keep running. What is God's view? Well, here's the great thing. We don't have to try and figure that out when it comes to Israel's failures in verses 19 through 35 because Samuel immediately gives us God's view in chapter 2. Notice what it says in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. That is the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Amorites. You shall break down their altars. And he says, but you have not obeyed my voice. This is an intense scene. The angel of the Lord appears. He is the divine messenger of God. What that means is that what he says in these verses, God is saying to his people. This chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, this is God confronting Israel. This is God confronting his people. And after he is done, as we will see, Israel is undone. They are in tears, and actually they are worshiping him. So what did God say? Well, after reminding them of his covenant faithfulness that has made them what they are in this moment, he reminds them in verse 1, I delivered you out of slavery. I redeemed you from bondage. I redeemed you 
out of bondage and into freedom. And not just personal freedom, not just Galatians 5, use your freedom to serve self, but freedom to serve me as you were created to do. Freedom to have me as your God and you be my people just as you were created to be. I did that for you. And I brought you into the promised land for that purpose. To worship me in peace and unity. And not to be impacted by the surrounding nations, but to have an impact on the surrounding nations. Remember, the angel of the Lord says, that's what I did for you. That was my covenant. And you are to covenant with me. Notice what he says in verse 2. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but you shall break down their altars. What God says here is, in effect, what he has been saying throughout Exodus and in Deuteronomy. It's the same thing that he said on the banks of Jordan before Joshua. Moses giving his grand sermon before he would turn and head up the mountain away from God's people where where the Lord would bring him to himself in death. Over and over God reminds them of this truth. He reminds them of how he delivered them from Egypt, expressing his covenant faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness to Abraham. No, let's go back further. His covenant faithfulness to Adam, to Noah. And in a very unique way where we see his covenant fleshed out to Abraham and to Isaac and to Joseph and to Joshua. He has been faithful to his people. And second, he warns them, given your redemption. Think of Ephesians 4. The first three chapters of the gospel is preached and then Ephesians 4 now. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Well, it's the same thing here. He says, given your redemption, he commands and warns them not to covenant with the Canaanites, but to what? Drive them out of the land and destroy their their pagan liturgy. Break down their altars, he says in verse 2. Why? Well, lest you turn away from me and join them. Assimilate to them. Worship the gods that they worship. Give yourselves to, to the paganism that they are captive to. And Israel failed to do that. Israel failed to take that very first step. And that is drive the pagans out of the promised land. In fact, we have an explicit example that's very helpful for us of what's going on. Notice verse 22. Look what it says again. 
The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the, and the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. Now listen to this. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city. And they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, i.e. down the road, and built a city and called its name Luz. Do you see that word kindly there? We will deal with you kindly. Please show us a way into the city and we will deal with you kindly. It's the word, the Hebrew word hesed. It, it means loyalty. It means commitment. It means joint, joint obligation. It's a partnership word. And the thrust of it is particularly with the people of God. Simply put, the word kindly there is a technical term for covenant. Covenant. Now, we know what a covenant is. You promise to do this for me. I promise to do this for you. That's a covenant. Listen, Bethel was a great victory. The Lord was with Joseph. But then they covenanted with this man and his family. And what did the man do? In verse 26, he went down the road. He rebuilt this pagan town with pagan altars for pagan worship. He even gave this new town the name of his old town that he was run out of, Luz. But he remained in the land. So what happened there? Compromise. Compromise. What happened in verses 27 through 35? Compromise. The root of Israel's problem was not military strategy or physical might or, or pragmatic policy. It wasn't that iron chariots were insurmountable. It wasn't that God's power was less effective in the plains than in the hill country. It was spiritual. It was spiritual compromise. And as we'll see in next week's text, Israel's spiritual compromise led not only to the accommodation of the Canaanites in the promised land but it led to the assimilation of the Israelites to the Canaanites' paganism. And you just keep reading the Old Testament and you see how compromise was Israel's kryptonite. They didn't fear God. They didn't trust God. They didn't obey God. They went their own way. Remember last week we said, this is not, Judges is not about the chaotic world around us. It's about us and our own chaotic hearts. <laughs> That's what Judges is about ultimately. That's what's going on in Israel. So God, be, being faithful to his word, he told them what he told them before in chapter 2, verse 3. Look what it says. So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. You can translate that. Listen, you, you compromised. Therefore, you will not experience the full realization of all my promises and blessings that are meant for you in the promised land. No, I'm not going to drive them out now. They're going to be a thorn in your side. They are going to be snare to you in your relationship with me, in your walk 
with me. Now, I think what's important is notice he didn't say he would abandon them. We're going to see that over and over again in the book of Judges. He didn't say he would disown them. He didn't say that you will not experience my goodness or that you will not experience my power or that you will never experience my promises. But he did say your relationship with me is hindered because you are compromising. You are covenanting. Not with the God of covenant, but with the world around you. And you know what? That's not God being unfaithful. That's God being faithful because that's exactly what he said would happen. Daniel Block says, this reaction on God's part is neither impulsive nor arbitrary nor capricious. It reflects his own fidelity to past pronouncements. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Now, as soon as the people heard this, notice verse 4 and 5, they are cut to the chase. Verse 4, as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, they lifted up their voices and they wept. They made sacrifice to the Lord. Their hearts, at least at the moment, this is a good thing. God's people seem convicted. that They, they seem to have cried out in repentance. They wept over their sin and they worshipped God. And we'll see this over and over again as Israel now continues to experience the bitter consequences of their spiritual compromise. So all those funny named cities, all those funny named people, it's not just geography or ethnicity. It, it, is, it is a picture of spiritual compromise by God's people. What does that have to do with us today? It's a warning. Remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I think in 2 Corinthians 10, I think it is. Talking about the Old Testament, God's people. These things were written down for your instruction. <laughs> we're supposed to learn from those who went before us. This is a warning. That's our second point. Israel's compromise is a warning for us. Like Israel, our compromise is kryptonite. Now granted, it's, it's, it's often subtle, gradual. By the way, compromise is all, not always black and white. What might be compromised for me might not be compromised for you, so we have to be careful of being too dogmatic of what compromise is and what it isn't. Joseph acted kindly to the man and his family fleeing Bethel why is that compromise, Derek? God is the God of love, mercy. Of course he is. But in that moment, and for that reason, their kindness was a spiritual compromise in that situation because it was a disobedience of the Lord. That's what spiritual compromise is. Barry Webb said, it is doing something that is inconsistent with being faithful to God. That's what spiritual compromise is. It's acting and speaking and tolerating things that are inconsistent with being faithful 
to God. Whether it is inconsistent with his word or a conscience that has been calibrated by his word, compromising our faith is simply doing something inconsistent with being faithful to God. And boy, we have all the opportunities in today's world. We live in a pluralistic society where nothing is absolute except for my right to do what is right in my own eyes and your responsibility to tolerate it. <laughs> that, that, that in, today, and in today's world, tolerate means you embrace it and accept it as good and right. That, that's the world that we live in. Everything is permissible except tolerance. And this is fertile soil for spiritual compromise. Whether it's in your evangelism, in your finances, in your relationships. A pluralistic society is a dangerous place for someone who wants to walk loyal to the Lord. Now listen, I know as Christians, we want to love others. We should love others. It is the love of God pouring out of us that we love others. We're even to love our enemies. We know that the ground is level at the cross. What that means is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. No no one is better than the other in this room. At the ground level, the the, the person who is out there right now... (laughs) spitting in the face of God is no, is, is no, is not, we're not any better. We're all sinners. We all need a savior. But here's what we must never do. No matter how right, kind, innocent, or socially acceptable something may seem, We must never place our desires, convenience, comfort, or reputation over God's word. Just let that one settle in. Because that's exactly what Israel did. That is exactly what Israel did. Look at verse 19 again. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. That, that, that is a promise from verse, verse 2. I, I will go with you. I will give the enemy into your hands. But look at the but. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of fire. The he there is not a reference to the Lord. It's a reference to the tribe of Judah. So you know what? Here's what we need to know about the chariots of iron. Look, look, look back at Joshua 17. Flip back just a couple pages. Uh, look at verse 16. Joshua 17, verse 16. Love to hear the pages of, Bi- of the Bible being crumpled and turned. And... Joshua 17, 16. The people of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron. 
but both those in Bethshan and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joseph said to the house, then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are a numerous people and have great power. Why? Because the Lord is with you. You shall, have no, you shall not have one allotment only. Now let's look at verse 18. But the hill country shall be yours. For though, it is a, for though it is a force, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and are very strong. That is the word of the Lord to God's people. Do not be afraid of the chariots of fire. And yet they turned away from the word of the Lord. Do you see that? Was it too hard? I don't know. Was it too dangerous? I don't know. What I know that there was something within them that they turned to and chose over, over the word of the Lord that says, hey, the chariots of fire, no, or the chariots of fire, the chariots of iron are no issue. I am the Lord Almighty. You will take the land. No matter how many chariots of fire there are, they allowed fear to turn their eyes away from God's promise. That's what happens when we compromise. That's what's operating in our hearts. Whether it's fear or it's pride or it's jealousy or envy or perhaps a, 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 a sinful craving for a particular reputation. Compromise just doesn't... It's birthed. In our hearts, it's the expression of wanting something more than we want God. And listen, Christ gave, did you remember what, 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 what the angel Lord said? God, I redeemed you out of Egypt. Well, guess what? On this side of the cross, Christ gave his life for us. By the grace of God, you are what you are in Jesus. Let me remind you what that is. Forgiven, righteous, justified, kept, and empowered. Empowered to live for your Savior. And what God calls you to, just as he did with the Israelites, he will provide the grace to walk in. To say no to that compromise. A, a gospel claim, which simply means an implication of the gospel, that Jesus has come to you and saved you, that that means something. It puts a claim on your life. A gospel claim on our lives is a commitment to live a life of uniqueness. That can only be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about this. He called it being salt and light in the Sermon on the Mount. The Apostle John described it as not loving the world. Paul described it as worship in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Compromise. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.
The question for each one of us is not, am I compromising my faith in some way? I think the question is, where am I compromising my faith? How is the Spirit convicting you today of compromise? Relationships? Is it integrity in the workplace? You want to move up? You want to be accepted? So you'll laugh at those jokes? You'll partake in some of the after work shenanigans? You want to make a buck while you still can? So you're willing to fudge and bend, forgetting you live Coram Deo before the face of God? Is it honesty? Is it in your evangelism? Listen, there is some truth to, to the Jew, I'm a Jew. But our evangelism doesn't mean we throw our convictions out the door. <laughs> our, our evangelism isn't, isn't like, you know, we say, oh, this is a grace-free zone. I play fantasy football. and fantasy football, it's a grace-free zone. We just tear into each other. Boy, that fell flat. Apparently nobody else plays fantasy football. And by the looks of your face, you don't even know what fantasy football is. So strike that one from the record. Evangelism is not a no compromise zone for the sake of Christ. It's not. Because then it's not for the sake of Christ. You're fooling yourself. It's for your own glory. So, so what attitudes, what actions, what sins are you tolerating? Here's what the Spirit has been convicting me of this week. My tolerance in my choice of entertainment, i.e. movies or TV shows, that celebrate sin. I know, you know, I can, well, you can't watch anything anymore now. Yeah, 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 okay. But boy, do I tolerate a lot. I can remember a couple years ago when, when our grandson uh, Calvin passed, and we were in uh, Washington, Don and I, with Brett and Lauren, and with Tom and Lisa. I didn't tell Tom I was going to share this, but um, we were, here we go. We were watching a movie, just trying to unwind. It was an intense time. Everybody was emotional. We're just trying to care for Brett and Lorna. Let's just do a night in, make dinner easy. Let's watch a movie. Uh, I, I had never heard of the movie, but we turned it on. And I mean, five minutes in, we're watching. And I hear this from Tom on this side of the room. I'm going to, well, strike one. <laughs> Meaning there was something very, uh, very questionable. Then I, a few minutes later. Well, that's strike two. <laughs> Fifteen minutes in, Tom says, how many strikes does this thing get <laughs> before we turn it off, he was saying. Man, I need friends like Tom. Tom is one of the godliest guys that, that I know. A and he is, he is a means of grace in my pursuit of not compromising my faith. 
How's the Spirit convicting of you? Where do you, when you think about your life, you go, you know, if Pastor Tom were here, this probably isn't good, I'm going to put it, <laughs> would he say strike one, Derek? Strike two. How many strikes are you going to give this thing? Now, that's my conviction. I don't put that on you uh, in terms of what the Lord is convicting me of. Maybe that's not a problem for you. And, and please don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not watching. <laughs> I, I, I'm watching things that are, I can just easily justify in my mind. And the Spirit says, you're tolerating something you shouldn't be tolerating. And you're just going to get number and number to it. And before you know it, accept the grace of God. You, you are going to be assimilated. If nothing else, in your head. Where? where? Listen, if you, listen, by the way, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, um, please don't hear, if I want to be a good Christian, I can only watch certain shows. <laughs> That's not the point. Here's what I want you to hear. You, you're not, you're not compromised. You have no faith to compromise. The Bible describes you as being on a hellbound race that you are indifferent to. You're not even aware. You are, you are the Canaanite. You are the parasite. Parasite. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well. You are a parasite, just like I was. Let's just just call it what it is. And I was too. That was me. But God redeemed me. He, He delivered me out of my bondage to sin. And I didn't have to be someone. I didn't have to look a certain way. You know, there's a lot of Catholics in the Tucson area. You, you don't have to earn your way to the cross. God brings you there. He brings you to your knees. And he says, the work that my son has done and completed is all the work that is needed. You stand justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a gift And now the rest of your Christian life is not about earning something and not doing certain things or doing certain things so that you can stay in the graces of God. It is living for his glory and doing certain things and not doing certain things because your heart is so undone and overwhelmed with the mercy of God that has come to you. So your obedience doesn't earn you anything. It's just your worship. And you can come to him this morning just throwing yourself at his mercy. And, and that word, that word that, that you use to describe how Joseph treated the pagan man and his family, we will deal kindly with you. Listen, I promise you that if you humble yourself before God and acknowledge yourself as a sinner that you are, he will deal kindly with you. He he will bring you into his covenant. He will be your God. And you will be his son or daughter. 
And your life will be transformed forever, filled with the blessings and mercies and power of God. Listen, Christian or not, there's another warning for us. We, we, we can never presume on God's grace. We believe around here that when the Lord saves you, he saves you. God did not abandon his people. We're going to see that in the book of Judges. He disciplined them. He sent judges. He allowed the pagans to be a thorn in their side. He just promised that. Because he will not be mocked. Sometimes, our precious doctrine that we are so grounded in, and I'm so grateful for that, can actually hinder us to think, I can just do what I want. My sins are forgiven. Brothers and sisters, that is called antinomianism. It is licentiousness. And it may very well be the clue that maybe you don't know Jesus. God will not be mocked. The Bible is clear. When we compromise our faith, he will discipline us. Hebrews 12. I don't know what that will look like. I just know that he says, I, I discipline my sons and daughters for their good because I love them. When we yoke ourselves to unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 6, he will oppose us in our pride. I don't know what God's opposition to you as a child of God looks like, but I just know that he will oppose you instead of pouring out his grace. I think Hebrews, I think James 4 is actually a good passage, a good, good uh, example of how we will not fully experience and realize the blessings and promises of God as he intends when we compromise in our faith. He won't abandon you. He won't forsake you, but he will oppose you. Like I said, I can't explain what that might look like in your life. I just sure wouldn't want to be there. (laughs) To compromise our faith is to not abide in Christ. And when we don't abide in Christ, we miss out on the promised joy that is ours in Christ. John 15. In Revelation, Jesus rebuked the church in Ephesus for leaving her first love. He rebuked the church in Laodicea for growing lukewarm, both the fruit and effects of compromise, spiritual compromise. So where are you compromising in your faith today? Where are you spiritually lukewarm? Where are you wandering far from your first love Jesus. Where, where, where do you need the revival of the Holy Spirit? Not out there, right here. Where? Where? You're here this morning. There was a prophetic word given to encourage you. Come to Jesus. Come to me. I make you clean. I give you peace with my father. I, I give you forgiveness of sins. He bled and died so that you could find mercy and grace that heals your soul and refreshes you for your fight of faith. 
So come to him this morning. He will deal with you kindly. He will deal with you kindly because he did not deal with his son kindly at the cross. He poured out his wrath. He judged his son for every sin that you and I have committed. And Jesus took it. He took it to the point of death. But you know the story. Death could not hold him down. And he rose from the dead. The worship team can come up. Three warnings about compromise as we close. These will be on the website, so I'm going to go through them fast. Compromise can be subtle. Often you don't even notice it. Compromise happens when we lose focus on our true calling. We don't drift into holiness. We drift into compromise. And compromise is, ha- is a hard habit to break. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need the Spirit. And listen, this is why we need one another. Listen, last week I talked about unity and one another and the gathering. Well, guess what? Here's our application this morning. We need one another. And this is why community group is so important. Here's your application this morning. Understand how vulnerable you are to compromise in your faith and find a community group. If you don't have one, find one. If you have one, but no one in your community group knows that you're in that community group, you should probably start going. We all need help identifying and avoiding and defeating compromise. No one here should go the Christian life alone because you can't go the Christian life alone because God didn't intend for you to go the Christian life alone alone. And so the answer to compromise is not to go out there and just battle it yourself. It's to refocus on Jesus. It's to get back to the Bible. It's to renew your affections for Jesus. And that's exactly what happens in community group. That's exactly what happens. Listen, our prayer through this series is that God in his kindness would grant us fresh affections for Jesus and a renewed desire to live for him and him alone so that we all will experience all that he has for us between now and heaven to the praise of his glory. Let's stand and sing.